Hi, thank you for tuning in to another episode of State of the Arts, a podcast where art forms are embraced and artists are celebrated. I'm Lee, your hostess of Ceremonies, and this is episode 107. My guest this week is Ken Valenti, a former salsa partner of mine. He's a professional writer. He was a journalist for the Journal News. He's also on the board of the arts in New Rochelle, and he's currently working for a public relations company. He's very well-traveled, and he's written in independently also. Welcome to my show, Ken. Thank you for joining me. Sure. Thank you for having me. So let's get started. Uh, how did your journey as a writer begin? I always wanted to write. It's just what I did. It was my way of daydreaming on paper when I was a kid. I, I couldn't even give you an origin. I just can't remember a time when I didn't want to write. And that's what I would do when I was young. Um, I was I was kind of shy uh, you know, whatever. There were times when I would just spend, come home from school and just spend the entire afternoon sitting on my couch, just writing a story into my notebook. I would do it in school when I wasn't supposed to be, but whatever. So yeah, just always been writing. And then you went to school for writing? I wanted to be an author. That was my dream. Uh, it still is, because you never give up on your dreams. Um, but I went to college figuring I would study something else to get a job. I had this idea, and I know some artists, this is kind of maybe horrifying, but I had this idea that I needed to get a job, and then writing was something you could always do on the side. So I went to Fordham. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't uh, major until I think, I think it was in my senior year that I finally decided to major in communications, um, which was I had an internship on a paper, a newspaper at the time. It was weird. It was an obscure newspaper in New York City. And, uh, yeah, so, where am I? So I was writing for them, and then I just tried. I mean, eventually I got a job as a journalist, um, which I figured when I had this internship, it felt like, I hadn't thought about it before, but I thought, oh, if I become a journalist, I'll be training myself how to write, I'll be learning stuff, you know, you'll be out experience and interviewing people and getting to learn stuff to give you fodder for stuff to write about. And I figured news writing was sort of the kernel. You know, it's news writing is you're supposed to be very concise, very clear, uh, write tight. Uh, I figured if you started there, you could expand it more, go to other things. Whereas if you were trying to be very flowery, poetic uh, writer, it'd be harder to shrink that back down. So I felt like I was uh, developing my writing skills which I think I have. That's wonderful. So you've worked on fictional works aside from writing for newspapers. Yes. Yeah. Some of my critics would say I was writing fiction for the newspaper, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, I did. I've always tried. I've written more than I've tried to publish. So I've published three, I think three stories. And there was another one that got accepted by a journal that decided to go out of business before they published it. I don't know if that was because of me. So, yeah, I published a few, and then it's been pretty much on my own, just writing stuff. I did recently, November is National Novel Writing Month, which I've done a, I've done a few times and have actually succeeded maybe three times in the goal, which is to write an entire novel of at least 50,000 words all within the month of November. Uh, it doesn't have to be good. In fact, almost, almost by definition, it's not good. Uh, but it's a great start, and it really just kind of gets your juices flowing and really flexes your writing muscle. So, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. How did this November go? It went well. I started late uh, because my job is very busy. 
it is a little difficult because I do get to write on the job. You know, it's public relations, so I write press releases, content for websites and all that stuff. And when I'm doing it, sometimes I think, well, I am very lucky that I do get to write for a living, which is what I want. It can be challenging or it can be tiring to write all day and then come home or, well, now sometimes I work from home, cut off work and decide right now I'm home and I've got my leisure time and to spend that writing as well. Um, but I was able to do it and I pushed through. I started late. There were some days I couldn't do it. Couldn't write it all on Thanksgiving because I was with my cousins. Uh, Friday, I wrote 4,000 words. Then Saturday, I was with uh, my larger family gets together, so I couldn't write it all. And then that Sunday, I, I actually wrote 6,000 words. And that put me within five or 6,000 of the goal. So by 10.30 on November 30th, like an hour and a half before the deadline, I had 50,696 words and, uh, and an ending to the story. So okay. it worked. <laughs> How yeah. exciting. And you yeah. entered it into a competition? You know, I didn't um, because you don't. It's all on. Uh, it's all on the honor system. I actually didn't even sign up this year. I just did it on my own. But there is a website where you go and you can have a page that people can visit. You can post excerpts if you want. You record every day if you want, uh, as often as you want. Uh, how much you've written, so it'll show you a chart of how close you are. If you are on course, basically on average, you have to write one thousand six hundred and sixty-seven words a day. Uh, over the course of 30 days to hit 50,000, that's an average. If you don't write one day, well, the next day you have to write whatever that is, 3,200 something, I don't know, whatever. Uh, like I said, you are really, and the thing, to get to 50,000 words, you really are just pushing through. And this is what makes it good, because you cannot listen to your inner critic, which is always the biggest challenge <clears throat> um, when you're writing, you know, you are your biggest enemy, your worst enemy. Um, and you can't do that. You just have to keep going. And you can think, well, this is really stupid. This plot twist I had is just ridiculous. Doesn't matter. You just have to keep going. I had one year I had uh, three other women, well, three women, me and three women who were doing it. They were all friends of mine. All of them were married, had kids. They had families to go. So I was their cheerleader among the four of us, like getting them like, come on, we got to keep going. And our motto was, it can suck, <laughs> you know, because I was trying to tell them, don't worry about how good it is, just keep going. And my goal when I do it, a lot of the times the goal is that if I write a 50,000 word novel, and we're calling it a novel just because it has a beginning and an end, <clears throat> um, it could be ridiculous, but there might be sections in the middle that are that I'm really happy with, that I think, well, I could pull that out and make it a short story. Um, or maybe I can tune it up and make it into something. I would, and I am actually now spending a lot of time revising what I wrote this uh, past November, till, yeah, up until a week or so ago, um, that I might do. I wouldn't, I hear that people do, I hear these stories, and I don't know if they're just stories, that in, De you know, in December, publishing houses will just get, as they always get flooded, I'm sure, but we'll get extra flooded with all these manuscripts that, that come in that are, you know, just over 50,000 words. And I just cannot imagine just writing that and just sending it without revising it. So um, I don't know. I might actually revise this and, and send it somewhere, but it's going to take some work. Um, and then in March, I don't know who does it, but there's something called script madness where you write a script, I guess for a play, maybe for a movie. I don't know. I probably do either. Um, of at least 100 pages within the month of March.
Um, I never did that. I have written some plays, but there are scenes, you know, when I do write a play, it's short, like 15, it would probably be a 10 or 15 minute play or something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Have you ever had one performed? No. Well, no. Uh, and I would love to, I'm going to, Gonna try wrote one recently that I kind of like, so I'm gonna try to send it in. There used to be this thing in Manhattan that I loved called um, Theater Slam. Somebody organized it. It was a number of uh, it was a number of theater people, for lack of a better word. Um, a lot of them in their early twenties, and I was I was probably like late forties or something. Um, and a lot of them were actors, were in theater, had directed stuff, and they were also writers. <coughs> But it was a lot, it was on a, they would do it on a Sunday night. It was so much fun. You would bring in a script or at least a scene of five minutes, say. And in the first round, um, anybody could, you know, you'd enter your play. And they would, all the actors would put their names in a bucket. Or, yeah, I guess it was a bucket. The uh, guys on a blue piece of paper, women on a red, pink piece of paper. Or, or maybe it was two different hats or something. <clears throat> and... When you, when they came to your play, you would write on it and say, well, I need, you know, how many characters? Two men and one woman or three women and whatever. And they would pull the actors' names out of a bucket, bring them down, and you had 30 seconds to explain it to them. And then they would do two minutes of your show, completely off the cuff, never having seen it before. Um, that was the first round. Then you'd take a break. If you made it to the second round, you got to choose who you wanted to be in your show from whoever was there that night. Uh, and then you would do five minutes in the second round. If you made it to the finals, which was at the end of the, it was a month, it was four week cycle. Um, you would get to do 15 minutes. And at that point, some people would actually have like rehearsed and stuff like that. Um, it was so much fun because they were, some of the actors, some of them, not all of them were really good. And it was just amazing to see them take something they'd never seen before and just dive into it and make whatever they could out of it just to see if they saw what you saw, you know, if they came up with some interpretation that was completely different. Um, I was sad when that ended because that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, it sounded like a lot of fun. There was a woman named Lucy Alibar who had a play, she went by the name Juicy and Delicious, or maybe that was her show. I don't know. But she didn't win. She came in second place. Years later, I was watching this movie called Beasts of the Southern Wild, which is a really good independent movie. I loved it. And I'm watching it, and some of the characters, like, I recognized their lines and some of the things they were saying. Well, it turns out she co-wrote it, and she got, the screenplay got nominated for an Oscar. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. It would have been great if she won, you know, she lost Theater Slam but won an Oscar. I think that's a good consolation prize. And yeah. then she's also the writer or one of the writers on uh, the screenplay for um, Where the Crawdads Sing. Is that, is that the movie? The Crawdads Sing. Where the Crawdads Sing? Crawdads. The, Motown uh, Bang? No, no, it was a movie that was just out. Where the Crawdads... Yeah. The movie about the woman who, the girl who grew up in the swamp. Um, it's I, don't, a, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's uh, one that Reese Witherspoon produced. It's, um, yeah, the big movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, so this... You know, she's the only name I recognize, but, yeah, somebody came out of that. Anyway, <clears throat> from my perspective, it was just a lot of fun to do it. And, uh, yeah. That's really yeah. cool. 
And you're also on the Arts Council in New Rochelle. Yeah, the New Rochelle Council on the Arts. Um, I They asked me to join because they wanted somebody who did... Who, uh, who wrote, basically. they have We have some other art types of artists. And they do a bunch of things. We did a show, um, a member's show once a year, uh, where people, you know, obviously in the library, on, in the stage, people get up on stage and perform. <clears throat> the best thing they do, I think, is Arts Fest, or, uh, which is one weekend in October, generally October, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, where they fill New Rochelle with arts. From the from the downtown all the way up to the north end, there are different stores. Some of them are stores or places like a coffee shop that might have a musician anyway. Well, they'll make sure they have musicians that week and they'll have art on the wall. How, coffee shop that I hang out a lot, Art Cafe, um, always has art on the wall anyway. Well, one, one year for Arts Fest, they had the artists come in and they have this one uh, sort of large country-style wooden table. And they had the artist at one end just doing one of his artworks and just talking to anybody. Anyway, they'll fill theirs like stand-up comedians. Arts can be anything. Some guy has a bunch of classic cars that he'll park outside City Hall and you can go look at the classic cars. The high school students, New Rochelle high school students who are in drama uh, and in theater will put on a performance. And it's just the whole weekend. You can just go looking at paintings and watching comedians or art, uh, you know, musicians and and stuff. It's just, uh, it's just fun. Yeah. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you used to be my salsa partner. We taught some classes, did some performances. Yes. Uh, yeah, and you were also in a dance team. I performed in Connecticut, uh, the Connecticut Salsa Fest, and some in... Oh, actually once at the South Street Seaport. That was with Piel Canela, uh, run by Joe Burgos, which was a uh, school, I might still be there, school downtown. Joe was great. <clears throat> he used to teach every class. I don't know if he still does. I don't know if they're still around. Um, but yeah, we did some performing. And uh, that was a blast. And then also for the school we went to, you went to Meek and Rolls. I, right? I went to Meek and Rolls. Yeah, yeah, Dance Mosaic. Yes, Dance um, Mosaic. <laughs> they had a performance team. Actually, I was doing two at once. I was doing Mika's team while I was on Joe Borgos's, uh, what did they call it? Uh, ours was supposed to be a one-time thing. Like, um, I forget what they called us, but we were just supposed to do it for one big event. <clears throat> whereas Joe had all these, he had these ongoing teams. Um, when we did the one event, and we we worked so hard at that. Like, we were down Manhattan a couple of times a week rehearsing. Well, we wound up renting our own room. Like, there's a studio, like a dance space or just a, an open space with a dan- uh, wooden floor, dance floor, where you can rent. We rented it. They had a sound system. We had a CD that only had the, our song on it that we were dancing We'd put it in and it would just play over and over and over again and we would keep rehearsing. So when we performed this, um, Joe was impressed and he told us uh, anybody yeah, anybody on the team can just join his regular team, which you usually had to try out for, um, but we can just join, you know, automatically. So I did and I did that for a while. Um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, was that Pia Canella? Yeah, it was Pia Canella. Um, and I was on the junior team, I think. Yeah, I mean, I got to the point where the highest level was professional. I don't know if I, I know Joe probably got paid for it. I don't know if the 
the dancers actually got paid, although that would have been fun. So, yeah, but that's a lot of work, and uh, it's a big commitment. You've been dancing socially lately? I have been. I've been trying to get back into it. So I started, what, back in 2000? It's been a while. Uh, Of course, during the pandemic, there wasn't, you know, there was no dancing to be done. Um, Was it last, I think just this past summer, I started again, and it was funny because I hadn't, and... I hadn't been doing much exercise at all. So I would dance one dance and I'd be winded and I'd have to wait and then, you know, maybe dance. And, I, um, <clears throat> and I've been going and I'm just not, I mean, it's fun. I've been going now and then, really not up to the level that I was. I kind of hope to, you know, do it more. But I am, I can dance a few dances now before I get winded. So that's a good thing. And you travel a lot, you would say? I did, didn't for the pandemic. Uh, I had traveled a lot. I had gone to um, a number of Spanish-speaking countries where I would actually join, go to these programs where you'd go to a language school. So I think I went, what did I do? Mexico, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Spain. What that means, since I learned some Spanish, you know, in school, and then I was taking lessons, I'm not by any means fluent but I do understand this or that can have, you know, broken conversations. The first time I flew into Mexico, I flew into Mexico, took a cab into the city of Guanajuato, if I'm saying that right. And I had to get from where the cab dropped me off to where the house where I was staying, which you couldn't get to by vehicle. So I had to walk. Well, that one point when I got out of the cab and had to walk to that house was the one time I was just wandering in a country where I didn't speak the language because my Spanish was not that good. Then I got there, and, you know, at that point, then I was at the next day. I was at the school, so I was learning a little more. Um, So I have traveled, but I have not been in countries where I don't speak the language. Um, Or a language. So, as you know, I was recently in Iceland at the end of October. I I actually did try to learn a little Icelandic. um, And I know a word here. I can ask for two beers. I can order two beers. (laughs) Um, And say a couple of other phrases. But they all speak English. I think they learn it in school. So 99%, I think I saw 99% of the country speaks English. They kind of have to speak other languages because there are, what, 360, 365,000 people in Iceland. There aren't a lot of people who are going to spend a lot of time learning a language that's only spoken by 360,000 people in the entire world. (laughs) Um, Although some do, I think if you want. I think if if you want a job in most field, especially in an office in Iceland, I think you are required. You have to learn Icelandic. Um, an exception is tourism. So I'm off on a tangent, but um, a lot of the tour guides, actually every tour guide we had, my friend and I had, all of them spoke English. None of them spoke Icelandic. Actually, the British woman, maybe they, maybe they did. The British woman said she could, you know, fudge her way through Icelandic. Um, but Generally, they speak English. And it wasn't like you didn't have to walk in and say, you know, in a very loud, slow voice, does anyone speak English? You can just go in and just start talking to people in English and they start talking back to you, which, I don't know, maybe maybe I sound like an ugly American. Like, oh, I want everybody to speak my language. Like, you could just walk into the country and just be there. And Of course, it's difficult. It's not easy to get a job there if you're a foreigner. But And you yeah. had fermented shark. Yes. I had... <laughs> Fermented, in quotes. <clears throat> I had read 
more than 20 years ago, um, God, 23 or four years ago, I knew somebody who, she was from Yonkers, but her family was from Iceland. And I met her one week during Writer's Week. She was living up in Rochester, so she and I started just emailing each other, <clears throat> like pen pals. And I read this article in a newspaper, in a magazine, like outdoor magazine. It was a, a magazine about visiting Iceland, outdoorsy things. And there was one line in it that said, don't be tempted to eat the putrefied shark. And they actually said putrefied. And I, it, it stuck with me forever. I've been talking about it ever since. Um, then we didn't even have Google way back then. <clears throat> I don't remember when Google started. But eventually, like after Google was in, you know, in our lives, I thought, oh, I can just Google it. And I've been looking up, you know, checking it out ever since and finding out. Yeah, they do this thing where they, they call it fermented shark because they use Greenland sharks or other sharks up north that develop a natural antifreeze. So they can swim in the subarctic, maybe even Arctic waters. Um, and that's toxic to us. So in order to eat it, the Icelanders figured out, God knows what kind of trial and error this was, that if you bury the meat you know, in the, by the beach or in the sand, for months, the toxins will leach out. And then you let it dry. And I guess most of the bacteria dries, dies off. And then they smoke it to kill anything that's left. Uh, and then they cut into little chunks and, and you eat it. And uh, I did. Because <laughs> I, I went with a friend and I told my friend, there's just no way. I've been talking about this for like 24 years. There's no way I'm going to go to Iceland and not do it. That would just be the biggest disappointment. So I went. She, The friend I went with was a vegetarian and she's always saying like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. And she was like, well, that's you. I'm not going to try it. But when I tried it, we were at a restaurant and they know, you know, they, they get it. So they have, they had like a platter that included a few chunks of the, the fermented shark, uh, just so you could try it and, you know, say you had it without ordering an entire meal. <laughs> um, so we did it. Yeah. Wow. Bravo. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that takes a lot of guts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and it was awful, but <laughs> but I kind of expected it to be. It's uh, like, I, I, you know, they said, I read somewhere that, oh, it'll taste like a sharp cheese, or maybe it'll taste like a mild cheese. And then the aftertaste supposedly is like urine, which is very pleasant, which is basically ammonia. Well, I ate it, and all I tasted was the ammonia. <laughs> so I don't know if I had the bad fermented shark, but whatever. They serve it with a shot of liquor called... It, well, I don't, I've never heard it pronounced... It's Brennivin, B-R-E-N-N-I-V-I-N, something like that. So I guess it's called Brennivin. Anyway, chilled glass, it's uh, caraway. It's like a, an aquavit. It's like a vodka type thing um, with caraway seeds. So it tastes kind of like rye bread, which is strange. And, you know, some people like it, some people don't. They served it chilled, <clears throat> and that washed away the taste because, yeah, it was just, you know, it was just ammonia. And then I would take a sip of this Brennivin, and it was gone. And my friend did it too. She said she didn't like the Brennivin. And I thought, I don't even remember what it tasted like. All I know is it washed away the taste of the shark. <laughs> so I bought a bottle and I brought it to my cousins for Thanksgiving when the big gathering. And I showed it to them and I said, all I know is this tastes better than rotten shark meat. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. That's great. Yeah. So anything on the horizon? Any trips coming up or writing projects? So I'm going to spend a lot of time, well, my plan is to spend a lot of time revising this thing that I wrote for National Novel Writing Month, 
Um, and I hope that comes to something. And I am actually talking about going back to Iceland. Um, one of the things I did not get to do there was dance salsa because they actually have a salsa group. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, called Salsa Iceland. And I wrote to them on Facebook beforehand. I said, I'm going to be in town this week. Can I, you know, do you have any events I can come to? Do I need to, you know, is it okay if I speak English? And of course, as you know, as a salsa dancer, we dance on two. The rest of the world does not. Well, I don't know. If, but basically on two is New York style. Mm -hmm. In Iceland, they dance on one. So there was one event um, during the week when I was there. And that happened to be that the day. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The day that my friend and I were on a 12-hour tour, so I didn't get to go, and she's not a salsa dancer anyway. So, um, Also, I was a little intimidated because they dance on one, and I don't know, which is the, the standard, the uh, traditional way. Um, and I'm not that good at it, so I have a friend, Chissy. I don't know if you remember Chissy. Of course. Yeah. She, um, she is MD Salsaris. She can dance on one or two. And she's decided, like, we're going to practice and rehearse and get into better shape. And then we're going to go back to Iceland for, uh, you know, just to go to a social and stuff um, and see if we can teach the Icelanders how to dance. How exciting. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun because I'm, I'm a member of their Facebook group now. It's Salsa Iceland. And you'll see video. And they dance. I mean, they can dance. You, you'll see it. Um, but I look at some of them and I think, all right, I can do better than that. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, you know, I might be humbled when I get there. But, uh, well, you know, and I say I can do better than that, but I can't dance on one. So I'd have to to practice that. So you, you and Tissy are going to go over there and <laughs> yeah. basically help them. Yeah, well, <laughs> I know, like an American in Paris. Actually, I don't want to sound that, that arrogant, but... I mean, that's, that's the joke, you know, that they'll put up statues to us or whatever. But I really would like, I mean, if I can, I really would like to just to see if I can, you know, that's one way to meet people and, and stuff. And uh, cool. yeah, I mean, I talked to, talk to a few Icelanders, mostly the people at the, you know, coffee shops that I was ordering coffee from and the woman who ran the guest house. And uh, everybody was nice. I think they're just kind of, you know, they seem kind of relaxed and nice, and yeah, that's so. awesome. <laughs> Any advice you'd like to give to aspiring writers? Oh yes, here's my advice to writers: write. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that. I had a friend who was, um, <clears throat> or have a friend who was trying to write a novel for years, and I was helping her, and she had this idea, and she kept shooing it around, and then watching different videos and stuff and coming up with, you know, she kept rewriting the cha first chapter and she'd get four chapters in and think, no, I want another, you know, do chapter one again. Um, and I used to tell her, just write. Like, worry about it later. Don't try to... She and people write different ways. So there was one writer that we like who said something about how he likes to perfect one paragraph before moving on to the other. That's, to me, speaking a foreign language. I think you just need to write Keep going. Don't worry about how stupid it is. Uh, you're not going to show it to you. You don't have to show it to anybody. But just keep going and then see what happens and get in that mindset. And um, that's, what I, that's what I told her. Now, she never took my advice. However, she is converted, not converted, but at some point 
She was writing a novel. I was helping her with it. She said, you know, I just want to put that aside because I have a couple of poems in me. And she started writing poems. And now she's published like dozens of, she's actually published like dozens of poems. Um, she did National Novel Writing Month. Like we were, you know, like a, uh, supporting each other. Um, except she didn't write a novel. She wrote 50,000 words worth of poems. And she finished before I did. So <clears throat> I would say that. And I know it's simple. I know it sounds reductive and ridiculous, but just keep writing. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on State of the Arts. It was such an honor to have you on my show. Uh, thanks. Sure. It's great to be here. <laughs> wonderful. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in to another episode of State of the Arts. I encourage all of you to stay safe, stay positive, and stay true to your dreams. Take care, everyone. <laughs>